Let's open our Bibles again this morning together, this time to the book of Genesis, chapter 48. Genesis 48. And I'm going to read the whole chapter this morning, though I'm only going to preach the first seven verses. We'll cover the rest of the chapter this evening. As you can see, we're getting close to the end of the book of Genesis, only three more chapters to go. Not sure yet how many sermons that'll be, but we'll take as much time as we need to get through them. But this morning and this evening, our focus is going to be on chapter 48, which is about Jacob on his deathbed pronouncing a blessing on Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And as we look at this chapter together in many places, we'll see the character of God on display for us in the words that are spoken by Jacob and by Joseph. We'll be reminded of who God is not just who he was back then for Jacob and his descendants, but who he is still today. And that can give us much needed encouragement in the midst of whatever hardships we may be going through. It can move us to adoration of God and obedience of him in our lives. So we'll see the character of God on display as Jacob pronounces his deathbed blessing on Joseph's two sons. Before I read God's word, why don't we pray and ask for his help, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Oh God, we remember together this morning that you are eternal and unchangeable. You are the same yesterday and today and forever. And so when we see your character on display in this chapter, in Jacob's words, in Joseph's words, we can know that that is who you are still today. And we ask that you would open our eyes more to who you are and encourage our hearts and lead us into deeper adoration of you and obedience of you. May that be the response of our hearts and lives to your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 48, this is the word of God. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers, in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, 
Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, His younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you. And will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Like I said, we're going to focus on the first seven verses this morning and the rest of the chapter this evening. You can see in your sermon notes the outline for the whole chapter. We're going to follow in order what happens with Ephraim and Manasseh. First, they are adopted by Jacob then blessed by Jacob, and finally they are reversed. That is, Ephraim, the secondborn, is put before Manasseh, the firstborn, as I just read. And again, as we follow what happens here, we want to pay special attention to what's revealed here about the character of God. So let's look this morning at how Ephraim and Manasseh are adopted by Jacob. The context here is that Jacob is near death, We were told that at the end of the previous chapter. That's when he made Joseph swear an oath to bury him in the land of Canaan, despite the fact that they were all in Egypt at this time. And so he's near death. And given what happens in this chapter and in chapter 49, it's clear that he's quite literally on his deathbed. And he's pronouncing final blessings on his sons, and in this chapter on two of his grandsons. So this is a very significant event especially for the future of the nation of Israel. The opening verses of the chapter set the stage for what happens. Uh, Let's look at those now. Look again at verse 1. After this, Joseph was told 
Behold, your father is ill. He was terminally ill, as the context makes clear. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. We learned later that his eyesight was bad, so he couldn't see that Joseph had come to him. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. We sat up to pronounce these blessings on his grandsons. And then starting in verse 3, he does three things. First, he reminds Joseph of how God had spoken to him in the past at Luz, and we'll spend most of our time on that. Then starting in verse 5, he adopts Joseph's sons as his heirs. And then in verse 7, he reminds Joseph about the death and burial of his wife, Rachel, Joseph's mother. And what he's doing here is he's basically saying to Joseph in these three things, first, God has blessed me. Now I'm going to bless your sons because Rachel died young and wasn't able to give me any more sons. That's sort of the connection between the three things Jacob says and does here. God has blessed me. Now I'm going to bless your sons by adopting them because Rachel wasn't able to give me any more sons. And before we look more closely at those three things in this first paragraph, we should just step back for a moment and notice how God-centered Jacob is here at the end of his life, on his deathbed, pronouncing these blessings on his grandsons. He's not full of regrets. He's full, rather, of remembrance of who God is and what God has done for him, and of what God has promised him and his offspring. He's focused on God, not himself. And as I thought about that, it struck me that I think we should pray, even if we're young, that God would give us that same God-centeredness when we come to die, and we look back on our life, as Jacob is doing. We should pray that God would enable us to look back on our life and see his character, see him being faithful to who he says he is, and see his gracious providence at every turn as we look back on our lives, and see all the ways he's provided for us and made good on his promises. We should pray for the kind of clear vision that Jacob had of the goodness and grace of God in his life so that we can look back over our life with that same clear vision, with the eyes of faith in a God-centered way, and give him thanks and praise and glory. And we can pray this not only for ourselves, but also for our fellow church members when a brother or sister in Christ draws near to death, that God would give them eyes of faith to look back on their life as Jacob did and see his character and his providence and his promises and see his goodness and grace and give him thanks and praise. We can pray that our brother or sister in Christ would experience what we just sang about earlier, that even down to old age, all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when hoary hairs shall their temples adorn, like lambs they shall still in my bosom be born. So as we see this God-centeredness in Jacob's perspective, as he looks back on his life, we can pray the same for ourselves and for each other. Well, let's look at the three things Jacob does here in this first paragraph. First, he reminds Joseph of how God had spoken to him in the past at Luz and blessed him there. Look at verse 3 again. 
And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, or Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Notice what he calls God at the beginning of verse 3 there. God Almighty. That's how God had revealed himself to Abraham back in chapter 17. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. It's how Jacob's father, Isaac, referred to God when he blessed Jacob in chapter 28, verse 3. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. It's very similar wording to our passage. It's how God revealed himself directly to Jacob in chapter 35, verse 11. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. It's how Jacob himself referred to God. Remember when he sent his sons down to Egypt a second time in chapter 43, verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, before Joseph, which of course is what God did. God Almighty was, perhaps we could say, one of the patriarchs' favorite ways of referring to God, and it should be one of ours too. It speaks of his omnipotence, of the fact that he's all-powerful. Not some-powerful, but all-powerful. Not some-mighty, but all-mighty. God is all-powerful. It's good for us to remember that he uses his power according to his plan. Sometimes I think we struggle a bit with God's omnipotence. Not because we don't believe that he's all-powerful, but because we don't understand why he doesn't use his power to, say, heal our chronic pain or to convert our unbelieving covenant child or to prevent some horrible loss that we experience. We struggle because we know he's all-powerful, but we don't understand why he doesn't use that power in certain ways in our lives. But when we struggle with this, What can help us is to remember that God uses his power according to his plan. He uses his power according to his purpose. And if he doesn't use his power to heal our body or convert our child or prevent our loss, still we can trust his plan and his purpose. He's not refraining from doing those things because he's weak He's not refraining from doing those things because he's cruel. He's not refraining from them for any of those reasons, but because he is carrying out his plan and his purpose based on his infinite wisdom and goodness. His infinite wisdom and goodness, far beyond our finite comprehension or experience. So the fact that he's omnipotent can be a great comfort to us Because the all-powerful God is also all-good and all-wise. If he were just all-powerful but not all-good and all-wise, he would be a monster. But he's not a monster. He's God. And he's as good and as wise as he is powerful. 
and he uses his power in our lives according to his infinite goodness and wisdom. He is God Almighty. Jacob calls him God Almighty, which would have underscored his ability to keep his promises that Jacob mentions. Jacob also mentions there in verse three, you can see that God Almighty appeared to him at Luz in the land of Canaan. We should note the fact that God appeared to his people in many different ways in the Old Testament, but he has appeared to us fully and finally in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal word who became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 14, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Colossians 1, 19, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, Colossians 2, 9. God has appeared to us once and for all in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And though we cannot see God with our eyes, we have the fullness of his special revelation in the Son and in the Scriptures. And again, as we sang earlier, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Jacob also recounts that God blessed him. Blessing is a major theme in the book of Genesis, going all the way back to creation with God blessing Adam and Eve. And of course, also God's promise to Abraham in chapter 12, where he said to him, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That includes us today who are in Christ. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians Ephesians 1 tells us. We deserve his curse, his judgment, because we're sinners. But in Christ, when we put our trust in Christ for our salvation, we receive blessing instead of cursing. We receive salvation instead of judgment. We don't get what we deserve. We get what Christ deserves because he atones for all of our sins and clothes us in his perfect righteousness. And think of how gracious God is that he would bless us or that he would bless Jacob or his grandsons, because by nature we are all his enemies in rebellion against him. And yet he blesses us. He pours out blessing after blessing on our heads, both the general blessings that are all mankind's experience, both believers and unbelievers alike, and the special blessings that come to us through Christ because we are united to Christ by faith. How gracious God is to bless the likes of us, to bless Jacob his descendants. He is full of grace and therefore worthy of our thanks and praise. And of course, as you can see there, Jacob also mentions the promises that God made to him at Luz, promises that focused on two things really, offspring and land. He says, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And here I would simply remind us again that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. 
We should know the promises of God well that he's given to us in the Bible. And we should know that he will keep them. And we should live our lives by faith in them and in him. So Jacob is recounting the promises to Joseph. And again, he's saying to Joseph in terms of the flow of this paragraph, God has blessed me. Now I'm gonna bless your sons. And that's what he does there in verse five. He adopts them as heirs. So this is our second main point more briefly. Look at verses five and six. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine, that is by adoption. Ephraim and Manasseh, and notice Ephraim is mentioned first, shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. So even though they're his grandsons, now they'll have the status of being his sons. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh, in their inheritance. So the other children will be part of the tribe of Ephraim or the tribe of Manasseh. That's why later in the history of Israel, there's actually not really a tribe of Joseph. Instead, there's a sort of half-tribe of Manasseh and half-tribe of Ephraim. So if you look at a map of the tribal allotments for the tribes of Israel in the back of your Bible or wherever. You'll see territory for Judah and for Benjamin, etc. But instead of Joseph, you'll see Ephraim and you'll see Manasseh. So though they are grandsons, they are elevated to the status of sons in their inheritance. One thing to note here is that Hebrews 11 tells us that Jacob did this by faith, presumably meaning by faith in the promises of God that he's just referred to in verse four about offspring and land. Hebrews 11 verse 21 says, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So God had told him, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you into a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And though those promises had begun to be fulfilled, their full fulfillment was still a long way off. Here he was lying on his deathbed in the land of Egypt, away from the promised land, with some offspring to be sure, but nothing like a company of peoples, with only a very small fraction of the promised land actually in his possession. And yet by faith in the promises of God, trusting the promises of God, he blesses his grandsons and passes the covenant promises of Abraham on to them. As it says in Hebrews 11 verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. God made many promises to Jacob, and though he hadn't received the things promised in full, he saw them by faith and greeted them from afar by faith, and he acted on them in faith, in adopting and blessing the sons of Joseph. We are called to do the same as the people of God today. 
God has made many promises to us. And though we have experienced much more of their fulfillment than Jacob did because we live after the coming of Christ, we do still await their full fulfillment. And therefore, we must walk by faith. By faith, we must act on the basis of the promises of God. We shouldn't act on the basis of our feelings. We shouldn't act on the basis of our fears. We should act on the basis of the promises as Jacob did. Well, after Jacob adopts Joseph's sons as heirs, like I said, he mentions the death and burial of Rachel, our third point, there in verse seven. Look again at verse seven. As for me, when I came from Paddan, that's where he was for 20 years working for Laban, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Again, the connection here is that Rachel wasn't able to give him any more sons, and so he's going to bless the sons of Joseph. But there may be another reason he mentions Rachel's death and burial in the land, because he knows that he himself is about to die. And as we'll go on to see in the next chapter soon, he tells his sons to make sure that he too is buried in the land of Canaan. So even though he's in Egypt, he's looking toward the promised land. He recalls the promises of God about the land in verse 4. He refers to the inheritance of the land in verse 6. He refers to Rachel's burial in the land in verse 7. And then later he gives a portion of the land to Joseph. Back to Hebrews 11, to use the language of Hebrews 11, Jacob was seeking a homeland and not just the land of Canaan. Like his father and grandfather before him, he desired a better country, that is a heavenly one. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He realized that here he had no lasting city, so he sought the city that is to come. And so should we. Jacob's focus on Canaan should encourage us to focus on heaven, which is ultimately what he was focused on. To sing about heaven together, which we do. To talk about heaven together. To read about heaven in the Bible or in good books. To meditate on heaven and to live in light of it. Jacob had his eye on the promised land and so should we. Well, like I said, in many ways, we see the character of God on display here in this chapter as Jacob pronounces this deathbed blessing on Joseph's two sons. We'll see it even more this evening in the rest of the chapter. But I'd like to close this morning by drawing our attention once more to two things, to God's omnipotence and to God's grace, because we see God's grace in blessing Jacob and his descendants. As I said, we can draw encouragement from those aspects of God's character in the midst of whatever hardship we may be facing. And it can also lead us to greater adoration of God and to greater obedience of him in our lives. In terms of God's omnipotence, certainly it can move us to adoration, to praise, to saying wow at who God is. We see his power in creation, don't we? Which he alone made and sustains. We see his power in providence as he preserves and governs all his creatures and all their actions. 
And we see his power especially in the work of redemption, saving sinners through his son. He is indeed almighty. He alone is almighty. And he is worthy of our adoration. God's omnipotence can also give us great encouragement, can't it? When we remember it and believe it. It's so easy for us to get discouraged by our sin, by the sin of others, by suffering, by this fallen world that we live in. But we can meet that discouragement by remembering and believing that our God is almighty, that nothing is impossible with him, that he can do all his holy will, and he will do all his holy will because he is almighty. And when we think, secondly, about God's grace, shown here in the fact that he blesses Jacob and his descendants, he blesses sinners like us, it can again move us to adoration. For as we think about it, what being is there in the universe who is gracious like God is gracious? And it can also move us to greater obedience of God in our lives because his grace is what enables and empowers our obedience. And knowing that his grace is at work in us every day can motivate us to walk according to his ways and not ours, not the world's. And of course, the fact that he is so gracious to us through Christ can give us great encouragement because we know, sadly, that we still fail and fall. We know that we still sin every day. And how it encourages us to know that his grace is greater than all our sin. One of the blessings he's given to us is the blessing of forgiveness when we repent and confess our sin to him. He forgives us by his grace and transforms us by his grace and empowers us to live for him. So as we close, let me encourage you to take some time this afternoon perhaps to think about those two attributes of God, God's omnipotence and God's grace, to meditate on those attributes of God revealed in this passage. Consider what encouragement I can draw from them. And how can they move me to adoration and obedience? Talk about them with each other. And above all, pray that God will enable you to live in light of the fact that he is almighty and full of grace. Let's pray together. God, we praise you for these aspects of your character and others that you have revealed to us in this passage, in this inspired account of Jacob blessing his grandsons. We pray that you would cause the truths we've considered together to take root in our hearts. We pray for those who are yet unconverted that you would convert them even now through the preaching of your word and enable all of us to live more in light of who you are, especially the fact that you are almighty and full of grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.